Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 12, to grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Boy, do I love this text that we're in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to talk about the family of God in just a few minutes. But if you weren't with us or haven't been with us, at this point in chapter 12 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is in the midst of confrontation with religious people. Jesus always found himself in the midst of confrontation with religious people. Religious people did not like Jesus. Religious people hated him, as a matter of fact, and they wanted to kill him. I'm sitting on a plane on the way here um, Friday, and I'm thinking, looking at the text, why? Why did the Pharisees and religious folks want to kill Jesus? Well, I think right here in chapter 12, we have four basic reasons. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, they hated Jesus and they wanted to kill Jesus because of the claims that he made about himself. He said he was the Messiah. He claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah, the son of David, which meant his authority outweighed their authority. And they didn't like that. Number two, not only did he claim to be the Messiah, but also they hated him and wanted to kill him because of the deeds that he did. What did he do? Well, here in chapter 12, we've discovered that he healed the sick. He, he delivered those who were demon possessed. He delivered those who were demon oppressed. He was healing people and, and delivering people and causing people to acknowledge that he was the son of God that he really was the son of David, which meant he was the son of God. And they wanted to kill him because of that. You know why? Because Jesus, people were being drawn to Jesus and away from their religious rules and rituals. Religious folks don't like that. They'd rather you get along their religiosity bandwagon or whatever and seek to be made righteous in your own righteousness versus coming to Jesus and saying, you know what? It's just by God's grace and I'm saved. Grace alone, that's it. Grace plus nothing equals salvation. See, religious folks don't like that. And so when you start to acknowledge Jesus and you start to be drawn to Jesus and you start to say, yeah, man, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He delivered the possessed and the the oppressed from 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 demons. He must be who he said he was. He must be the son of God. Yeah, I think I'll give my life to him. Religious people don't like that. You see, not only because of the claims he made and the deeds he did, but also the people he hung around. Do you know, we talked about it in chapter 11, verse 19, look it up in your own time, but it says that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus hung out with sinners. Do you know Jesus likes sinners? Now, now we don't like sinners. That's because we are sinners, but we, we don't like sinners. 
But Jesus loves sinful people. He hung out with them. And the Pharisees hated that. And they said to him, they said, he is a gluttonous man. He is a drunkard. He, he, he hangs around with tax collectors and sinners. I always imagine their face like that. Sinner. And they didn't like that. So the claims he made, they hated him. The deeds he did, they hated him. The people he hung around, sinners like me and you. I'm glad he's a friend of sinners. Amen, saints? Because if you're a sinner, raise your hand. That should be everybody in here. If you don't think you're a sinner, talk to me after service. I will help you to see you are worse than you think. Really bad, really bad, really bad. He's a friend of sinners. And then lastly, they hate, and this must be the biggest one. This has really got to be one of the biggest ones. They hated him and they wanted to kill him because he had a total lack of respect and disregard for their religious traditions. Jesus had a total lack of respect and disregard for their religious traditions. And when he healed a man on the Sabbath, that in their presence, by the way, that was a straw that broke the camel's back. That's it. We got to kill him. You see, the Sabbath to them was like their God. The Sabbath was their God. And you, 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 know, you obey the rules of the Sabbath. You cross every T and dot every I concerning the Sabbath. So when Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, he did work. And they said, that's it. He can't be the Messiah. There's no way in the world he can be the Messiah. As a matter of fact, he's not only not the Messiah, but he is Beelzebub. They said, he's a son of the devil. And they said, we got to kill him. They hated him and they wanted to kill him. All because Jesus had no regard. One thing I loved about Jesus, he loved to stir up stuff. But that just mess up your whole Sunday school Jesus, nice person mentality. You know, oh, Jesus, so sweet, so loving, so kind. He's just a nice man. Yeah, he is. But he liked to stir people up, especially the religious folks. Matter of fact, you look through the scriptures, you'll see the people that he spends much of his time rebuking. Matter of fact, all the people that he ever rebukes are, guess who? Religious folks. That's the only people Jesus rebukes. People who are religious, people who think that what they do, who they are, their own righteousness, can make themselves better with God or, or, or in right standing with God or what they wear or how much they tithe or how many times they go to church or any of these outward, external, man-made religious rules and rituals. Jesus rebuked them, had bad things to say to them, and it made them so mad they wanted to kill him. Jesus would always, stir. I think, I think, now here's, I'm reading the white space here, okay? That means between the lines, all right? I think that Jesus intentionally stirred them up. He enjoyed it because he knew that they were wrong and he was right. They were hindering people from God and he was here to draw people to Christ. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. He came to save sinners like me and you. And when religious people got in the way of that, that's when Jesus said, hold it, stop right there. And he rebuked them. He even called them whitewashed sepulchers. We'll get to that later in Matthew. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. He says, outside, you're all nice and clean. You look religious. You're wearing all the right clothes. You carry a well-worn Bible. He says, but inside, you're dead men's bones. I love Jesus when he talks like that. Don't you? Now, last week, we talked about the two dangers of R&R. &R. Remember, if you were here, not rest and relaxation, 
which I could use right now. But, but the two dangers of R&R, we talked about religion and reformation. This morning, love this text, as I said, we're going to talk about being part of the family of God. Saints, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 46. If you're there, say amen. And while he still was talking to the multitudes, get this, behold his mother... And brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. And then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and he said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hands toward his disciples and he said, here are my mother And my brothers, for in verse 50, saints, would you read it with me? For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and my mother. Stop right there. Give me your attention. While Jesus was still talking. Now, you read in chapter 12, as he was dealing with the Pharisees and talking to them about the unpardonable, the unforgivable sin. And then he starts talking about their tongue out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then he starts talking about Jonah and the resurrection and all of these things. While he was still yet speaking, the Bible says his mother and his brothers, they stood outside and they were listening and they, they wanted to speak with him. And so someone, the Bible doesn't tell us who the someone was, but this unnamed person, possibly a disciple, went in to get Jesus to have him come out and speak with his mother. Now, now, keep it in mind, you, you can't separate the text and take, the, 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 take away the context. Jesus is dealing with some very radical things. As I said, Jesus was very radical. Not only was he talking about the Sabbath, and he said, by the way, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. But then he went on to say, and I am greater than the temple. Greater than the temple? No one is greater than the temple. You got to understand something. In Jewish mind, set, thought, philosophy, culture, the temple is the, the, the center of who they are and what they are and how they relate to God. The temple is like the the core or the fiber of who they are. The tabernacle and then the temple was because God's presence dwelt there. Because it was in the temple that they worshiped God and it's in the temple that they would approach God. So the temple is the core, the fiber of who they are. So when Jesus, I'm trying to show you how radical he was, when Jesus said, I am greater than the temple earlier in chapter 12, this is big. This is stirring up stuff. Jesus said, I am greater than the temple. And then he says, I'm not only greater than the temple, I'm greater than Solomon. And then he said, I'm greater than Jonah. Remember Jonah? And God created the Jonah fish. We talked about that. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. And Jesus says, yeah, you guessed it. Jonah is a picture of me, is a type of me. I'm greater than Jonah. And then talk about stirring up. Then he said, you brood of vipers. Now let me tell you, you don't say to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. That's like talking about your mama, all right? That's kind of like right up there talking about my mom. See, you can't get away with that. You understand? Say amen if you understand. All right, so he said, you brood of vipers. Now, again, you don't say that unless you, not, not if you want to live. 
So he said, you, he was calling them the devil. He was calling them deceitful and sneaky like vipers. And so his mother and his brother, they stood outside. They were seeking for him to come outside, trying to get his attention. That word seeking in the Greek language literally means imploring. It means begging. It means trying. I mean, like, like, you know, the picture here is almost like, Jesus, stop it. What are you, psst, psst, Jesus, come over here. Come over. What are you doing? Are you crazy? Stop talking like that. Because, see, they knew because the climate was getting hostile. You understand, as we move through, through chapter 12, you can see things are escalating. Things are at the heart and the feeling and the antagonism and the hatred is escalating for you. And see, Jesus' mother and his brothers and his disciples, they knew that. There's like this ticking time bomb about to explode. They could feel the hostility mounting and the tension mounting. They could sense it. And so they said, Jesus, let's get out of here. Well, not only because it was the hostility was mounting that they wanted to get Jesus out, but also because they were embarrassed of Jesus. Embarrassed? Yeah, where you get that from, Rodney? Mark chapter 3, verse 21. Don't turn there. Write it down. Look it up in your own time. Take up my time. No, just <laughs> They were, and this was shocking for me. I don't know. I've been teaching the Bible for a long time. I just got it. I just get it. They were embarrassed of him. Because remember, I mean, he's, he's talking all this stuff. I mean, he's a family member. You know how some of your family is. They just get out in public and they show out. You know what I'm saying. And so they're, they're like embarrassed of him. And, and not only are they embarrassed of him, but Matthew, Mark, pardon me, 321, says that, that, that they thought that he was insane. They thought that he had lost his mind. It's almost like, you know, have your mother ever said to you, have you lost your ever-loving mind? It's like, you know, I've always wondered, what is an ever-loving mind? Someone, please, what is it? But see, they thought he was insane. They thought he lost his mind. Now, understand something. Mary, his mother. I get the feeling she's kind of going along for the ride here because Mary, she didn't really think he was insane. Yeah, but she probably was a little embarrassed because he was really stirring up stuff. But she didn't really think he was insane because she knew. Remember the angelic visitation? Remember when the angels showed up and the angel said that, that you're going to have a son and you're going to call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. See, Mary kind of knew, but maybe a little embarrassed as moms sometimes are when their kids start getting in trouble or whatever. But the disciples, they were his or his, and his brothers, they were completely embarrassed, complete mortified. And they thought that he had lost his mind. I mean, think about it. That's really natural. I mean, it is natural if your brother starts talking about he's the Messiah. I mean, it's like, you know, you're out on the basketball court with big brother Jesus. <laughs> and, and you're all sweaty and you're hungry and you're tired. And all of a sudden he stops the game and says, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the Messiah. They're like, yeah, right. And I'm Oprah. OK, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it, it is kind of natural. It is shocking when your brother over a bowl of cereal just looks up and says, hey, I'm your big brother. You better do what I say or I'll send you to hell. I mean, that's kind of shocking. You know what I mean? It's almost as shocking as if when you get saved and you give your life to Christ 
you go to church, you go to crusade, whatever, wherever, you give your life to Christ and you just left home that morning and you come back home and you're a totally different person. Now you're born again. You're filled with the Spirit of God. And, and your life has changed. God has removed the scales from your eyes, and now you see things spiritually. Now you've repented, and you feel clean, and you're all washed up, and, and, and you go home, and you walk in the house, and you say, Hey, Mom, hey, Dad, hey, Husband, hey, Wife, guess what? I'm a Christian now. I'm going to heaven, eternally in heaven with God. They'll think you lost your mind. Might I add, your ever-loving mind. You see? So it's, it's no shock here. Family. It's difficult to minister to family, isn't it? You know, statistically, very few people lead family members to Christ. Did you know that? Why? Why? It's hard to admit. Jesus said a prophet is not welcome except in his own country. A prophet is not welcome. It is hard to witness and to minister to your family. Why? Because they really know you. You see, they know you in your B.C. days before Christ. They saw your life. They remember when you were a snotty-nosed kid getting in trouble with the police. They see they know you and you try to witness and go, oh, I'm changed now. They go, yeah, right. And I'm Oprah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, right. So it's hard to minister to family. And Jesus didn't didn't reach his family. He didn't reach his brothers until first Corinthians chapter 15. Again, look that up in your own time. In verse seven, it tells us that James, James was a brother of Jesus. It tells us that James did not believe in Jesus during his earthly life. When Jesus was walking on earth, James did not believe he was the Messiah. But after the resurrection, James became a believer. Isn't that interesting? In all of Jesus' 33 years, James refused to believe. Yeah, Messiah. I doubt it. We got the same mom, got the same dad. I'm not deity. How come you are? You see? But after the resurrection, the Bible is clear that James became a believer. And not only did James become a believer, but get this, he went on to be powerfully and mightily used in the church. He wrote the epistle of James, by the way, which I find it interesting that much of his epistle that he wrote, James, Jesus' brother, deals with the tongue. Isn't that interesting? Maybe he said some stuff to Jesus. Maybe he said things he shouldn't have said to Jesus during his life. We don't know. But James does deal with the tongue quite a bit. Very interesting. And so after the resurrection, James was changed. He was born again. He he, he was mightily powerful. As a matter of fact, he went on in the early church. They gave James a nickname. They called him Old Camel Knees. Why? Because James was a man of prayer. And he prayed so much on his knees that history tells us that he had big knots on his knees and his knees was calloused and arthritic and and, and painful because he prayed so much because he was so affected by big brother Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And none of that, none of that happened till after the resurrection. So they didn't believe. They were embarrassed and they thought that he was insane, the disciples. And Mary, I think she understood a little bit. She was a little bit embarrassed. She understood a lot. And she was embarrassed a bit. But, but, but she, uh, she, of course, you know the story, Mary. She, she's a believer. She, she received Christ, as a matter of fact. I was just looking in Luke chapter 1 as she talks in the Magnificat, and she talks about God, my Savior. Isn't that interesting? Mary calls Jesus her savior. Now, let me just kind of bring up a few things. I want to make a few points about Mary and take a few minutes because if you've been around here at Calvary Chapel, you know that I went to Catholic school pretty much from grade one through 10. 
And then right in the middle of 10, I got kicked out. But that's a whole nother sermon. We won't talk about that right now. But, you know, I went to Catholic school for years. And, and I, let me just say something. You know, I thank God for Catholic school. I learned a lot in Catholic school. I, I, I got a good education. You know, even when I went to public school, out of Catholic school, I was like way ahead of my class. I mean, way ahead. I still graduated with D average, but I still way ahead of them. I was ahead of them. I don't care what nobody said. I, I was all that. And so, <laughs> but I thank God for Catholic school, and largely because, you know, I learned good hand, good, what they call, used to call penmanship. If you, you know that word, first and second service, I use the word penmanship, and people look at me like I had six heads. They're like, what's that? Penmanship. Penmanship is handwriting. You learn, if you went to Catholic school, you know, you probably have very good handwriting because the nuns didn't play. They taught you how to hold that pen and that pen, that you had to hold it just like they told you. If you know, you went to Catholic school, raise your hand. If you know what I'm talking about, good. That's, that's two of you. All right. That's good. All right. I'm, I'm relating to two people here. All right. Cool. All right. So, but, but the, I mean, those not, man, they made you hold that pen just the right way. You had to write those letters the right way. And if you didn't or you were holding that pen wrong, I don't know where they got those rulers from. I mean, the, the nuns are walking by the aisles and holding their hands like this, and they look all prayerful. And they're just, you know, just all of a sudden you're holding something wrong, doing something wrong. It's just like, where do they get these? They, where did you get the ruler from? It's like they, get, they just, you know, they just. And you're just like, ah, hit me again. I'm going to go, what you going to do? I'm going to go, nothing, ma'am, nothing, <laughs> nothing. But I thank God for Catholic school. And so by no means, please don't understand my forthcoming comments as Catholic bashing. I am not Catholic bashing. I am not one of those protesting Protestants. But I must say, I got to say that I believe that the Catholics are wrong and even heretical as they relate to Mary in identifying her as deity and venerating her and worshiping her. That is wrong and that is unbiblical. And I think Mary knows it's wrong. As I said, Luke chapter one, look it up in your own time. Mary was a sinner just like everyone else. And even in her own prayer, that Magnificat, she says, I rejoice in God, my savior. Well, you don't need a savior if you're not a sinner. So Mary even acknowledges the fact that she is a sinner and that she needs a savior. Much wrong teaching as it relates to Mary in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church teaches, for example, the Catholic Church teaches that Mary is favored above all people. Now, look in your Bibles again. Very important to see. Notice when they came to tell Jesus that his mother was outside. Did you notice Jesus didn't stop and come out to see what his mother wanted. He didn't come out and go, yes, ma'am. Yes, Mary, Mother Mary, with special privileges. Ma'am, he didn't do that. Did you notice that? In other words, that tells us what? That Mary does not have special privileges and special access to God. Mary is not higher than other people. The Bible says that Mary is blessed among women. Blessed art thou among women, but not above women. 
She is blessed. And yes, don't misunderstand me. Let's be careful not to swing to the other end of the pendulum and say, oh, well, Mary, she was just like everybody else. Ah, oh, Mary, she's just another lady. Well, well, that's not quite true either. Because she is more than just another lady. I mean, think about it. She had the privilege, the honor to be impregnated with the Son of God. How many women do you know has brought the Son of God in the world? Now, I know you think your son is the Son of God, but he isn't. Hello. This doesn't happen every day. It happened once and it's never going to happen again. And she was chosen to bring forth the savior of the world. I think that's pretty special. Yes, as a 14, 15, 16 year old girl, God chose her and she was special to God. But let's be careful not to venerate her and deify her because she doesn't do it of herself for one. And it is unscriptural for people to put her in that place. She doesn't have special access to God. She absolutely does not. We need to be careful, though, not to swing to the other end of the pendulum and to make her less than what God calls her. So she, she's not blessed above women. The Catholic Church teaches that she is. The Catholic Church teaches also that Mary rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. They call that the Assumption of Mary. The Assumption of Mary. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.